after years of putting up with other cereal companies imitating their famous cornflakes, a couple of weeks back, Kellogg's announced that they are now planning to use a laser to etch their name onto every single flake of cornflakes. I know, it sounds bizarre. Supposedly true, uh, they have the technology to do it, and so sometime soon, uh, when you're on a house party, or you know at a motel, scooping your cornflakes out of the big canister into your bowl, you'll be able to tell if they have used the genuine catalogue article, depending on whether or not the flake has the company logo etched on it. According to Kellogg's UK division, quote, now you'll be able to tell your corn flakes from your corn fakes. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry about that one. Pretty corny, eh? Huh? <laughs> um, look, it's, it's of course not the first time there are problems of telling the real thing from a fake, an imposter. Happens all the time in life. Telling the real thing from an imposter. It was happening back at the time when 1 Peter was first written. Uh, not in terms of trying to figure out what a genuine cornflake is, but it was happening in terms of trying to figure out who the real people of God were. Because back when 1 Peter was first written, uh, there were in fact two main contenders for who were the people of God. Firstly, there were the Jews. There were the Israelites who would point to the Old Testament in their Bibles and say, look, clearly, uh, actually the Old Testament was their Bible, clearly we're the people of God. Read your Bible, read the Old Testament. Israel, we're the people. But then there was also a new bunch of people on the scene, people who were called Christians, people who followed Jesus, people many of whom were Jews, but not all of them by any means. But you see, now they were saying that they were the people of God by virtue of following Jesus. And I'm telling you, at the time of the New Testament, uh, there was heaps of tension over this issue, over who was telling the truth. Would the real people of God please stand up? And I think, at least in part, that is exactly the issue that lies behind this morning's section in 1 Peter. It's all about the question of who really are the true people of God. And it has some very clarifying, exciting things to say to you and I this morning. Let me show you what I mean by working through this morning's section under three very simple headings of why, who and how. Firstly, why, and by that I'm meaning why does today's passage, why was it written in the first place? Why did Peter feel the need to have to clarify who the true people of God were when he first wrote this letter? And in one sense we answered this question last week. Uh, but I think there's still some more things to see. So briefly come back with me to the very first verse of the letter, chapter 1, verse 1. Like us to notice something that we didn't have quite time to notice last Sunday. Verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, so it goes on. Now, last week we noticed that the original readers of 1 Peter sound as if they're having trouble fitting in, aren't they? The NIV Bible, which most of us have got here this morning, I suspect, describes them as strangers in the world, scatters, scattered. Sounds like they're sort of outcasts, misfits, nobodies living nowhere in particular, which at one level is quite true. But I think we can get a bit more specific here. Because verse 1 literally reads... 
And if you've got an ESV, I think that's a better translation at this point, because that translation reads, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. Exiles of the dispersion is literally the phrase that's used. And that is quite a technical, specific sort of title that is often used to describe Jews who have been scattered throughout the ancient world because of empires like the Assyrian Empire and the Babylonian Empire who came through at various times in history and conquered Israel. The exiles of the dispersion were therefore for Jews who weren't living in Israel, but they were scattered all over the Mediterranean, all over North Africa, all over, all over the, the Middle East. Uh, Jews who were there, who ended up there, because they were forced to live there by conquering armies that had come through during Old Testament times. And look, there were heaps of these sorts of people. At the time that 1 Peter was written, it is estimated that it was four or five times as many Jews living in the dispersion as were actually living in Israel herself. Here's the thing. Even though these exiles of the dispersion were technically Jews, they were very much second-class Jews at best. Not only were they, many of them, descendants of those lousy northern tribes who started a civil war in the Old Testament and ended up building a renegade temple up at Bethel back in Old Testament times, but even now, these are Jews who haven't bothered returning to the Promised Land. And they have no temple. They have no priesthood. To the true blue card-carrying Jew back in Jerusalem, for example, these people really were nobodies living nowhere in particular. But you see, some of them have become Christians. And that changes everything. Which is the why of why Peter is writing this letter. He wants them to understand the full extent to which following Jesus changes everything. Especially in terms of who they have become now that they are following Jesus. And firstly, in today's passage, the who of who it is that they become as Christians, the who is that they become part of a spiritual house. Verse 4 of chapter 2 of our reading. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I think my favourite building in Australia is the Parliament House building down there in Canberra. That is a very cool building, I reckon. Perhaps my favourite part of the building is that big foyer that you first enter into when you when you go into the building, if you've ever been there. In in the foyer, there are there are almost fifty marble pillars, and they are there meant to symbolise in the foyer the Australian bush. And I reckon it's pretty amazing. Each pillar on its own, each piece of marble, I reckon in itself is beautiful. They're they're deliberately that grey-green marble to represent eucalypt leaves and they have little bits of black marble deliberately scattered through them, specifically picked black marble that that have fossils in them so as to represent the Australian fauna. I reckon each piece of marble, each pillar on its own is pretty special. You put all 50 together, you walk into that foyer, that is very impressive. And Peter's saying, that's us as Christians, living stones, who last Sunday we saw individually, we have an amazing identity in Christ. You put us together, we are breathtaking. We are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. 
which I guess is a phrase that might leave some of us scratching our heads a little bit because this is all very abstract, isn't it? I mean, living stones, living stones, that's a funny mix of ideas. I think it's meant to mix feelings of strength and solidness also with feelings of vibrance and life and vigour. Holy priesthood is picking up the intimacy that we have with God, the, the role we have of leading other people to, to God. Spiritual sacrifices, it's Old Testament speak of doing things that honour pl- honor God and please God. But they are, it's a very abstract sort of phrasing here. And I don't want you to be put off with that because the rest of the letter is actually going to go on and spell out these phrases in very, very practical terms. For this morning, I just want you to soak in two things. Firstly, soak in the very plural group sort of image that this is because it's a bit of a progression from last week. I mean, last week in chapter 1, we discovered some pretty exciting things about who you become when you're a Christian, about being chosen and being born again and being privileged into what God has revealed to you. And, but it was all sort of personal, individual last week. Now it's much grander than that, if that's at all possible, because it's now much more composite. It's, it's combined, it, it's integrated, that when you become a Christian, it's more than just what happens to you as an individual. When you become a Christian, you're actually caught up into something even even bigger than this. You, you just don't have a new personal identity. You get incorporated into a new group identity with other Christians. And then there's, there's a real sort sense of synergy to, to these verses. You know that, that idea of synergy, the idea that, that the whole of something is greater than simply the sum of its individual parts. It's that sort of feeling here that, that together as a spiritual house we are in fact greater than the sum of us as individuals. So just notice that. Notice the strong corporate feel. Notice the way it's also wrapped up in very strong Old Testament language, isn't it? Uh, spiritual house, holy priesthood, offering sacrifices. It's all language and images straight out of the Old Testament, all about the Old Testament temple. And Peter is deliberately doing that so as to reinforce the idea to his readers that they are the ones to whom the Old Testament has been leading. They are now the people of God. Because remember, who, who's he, why is he writing this? He's writing to exiles of the dispersion. He's writing to people scattered throughout the nations. He's writing to people who don't have Old Testament priests. He's writing to people who don't, who don't live near the temple and he's saying to them, it doesn't matter now you're a Christian because now you're a Christian, you are the temple. Now you're a Christian, you are the priests. You're God's people. It's not about being a Jew in Palestine anymore. You are God's people. And just in case there's any possible doubt of missing this, he spells it out. Yet again, when he describes them as a holy nation. Jump to verse 9. But you, it's a very emphatic start to that sentence. But you, not anyone else, yes, you guys. You you, you ones scattered all over the place, yes, you. Nobody's living, nowhere in particular. You are chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you weren't a people, but now you are the people of God. Now, friends, there's lots of things we can notice here. Can you just notice the same two things we notice with the, spirit, with the spiritual house thing? Notice again the very corporate image of all of this. That as Christians, we have a very strong group identity. 
And that therefore, as Christians, it isn't like playing golf, where you can do that on your own. Being a Christian is like playing cricket or playing netball. I mean, it's a nonsense to say that you play cricket, but when someone asks you what team you play for, you say, well, uh, well no, I sort of go down to the oval by myself and I bowl a ball to myself and then I run down the other end of the pitch and I hit it and then I run out and field the ball and then I throw it back to myself. That's silly, isn't it? It just doesn't happen. Not if it's being a Christian on your own. You're not a person of God. You are part of a people of God. Maybe that's something you've got to think more about in terms of how dedicated you are to the others in this room, for example. Uh, we'll return to that in the very last chapter of the, of, the, of the letter. But again, also notice the way these verses, as well as the corporate group thing, they're resonating with very strong Old Testament words and images. I mean, some of those phrases in verse 9 about a chosen people and a holy nation, they are almost exactly out of the Old Testament. Things that God said to Israel at Mount Sinai after the Exodus, but now the Apostle Peter is saying it to scattered strangers. He's saying it to the exiles of the dispersion because he wants them to know that they are now the true and fully-fledged people of God. They're not just a people scattered amongst the nations. They are a nation. And they have gone from having no temple to being the temple. They have gone from having no priests to being the priests. All of which begs our third question. How? I mean, no. How do a motley bunch of scattered strangers scattered across the nations, how do they become God's people? How does that happen? For those with eyes to see it, it's actually the very first thing Peter said in, tonight, in today's reading. Look back at verse 4. Look down at the page. What are the first five words? As you come to him. That is the critical phrase as you come to him, the living stone. In other words, it's by coming to Jesus. It's by following Jesus. It's not about living in Palestine or being born into a certain geographical nation. It's by submitting to Jesus. It's by turning control of your life over to Jesus that a person is built into a spiritual house. Which is what he goes on to expand on in those verses 6, 7 and 8. In those verses, he lists out a whole range of Old Testament quotes, most of them from Isaiah, but he throws in one from Psalm as well, uh, all quotes which predicted and described that when God's Messiah, when God's ruler, when God's king finally comes to Israel, lots and lots of people, Israel herself, will reject him. That when the Christ does come, people won't believe him, they won't like what he says, they'll stumble over him because he won't be the sort of Christ that they are expecting or even particularly wanting. And those quotes point out that it will be to their detriment to reject God's Christ because the God's Christ is precious and chosen to God and he will become the capstone of a whole new people of God. And Peter is gathering those quotes together because he wants his readers to, to be aware that it's happened. The capstone has arrived. It's Jesus. And so by trusting in him, by coming to him, it's, that's the way that you will not be put to shame. That's the way you get built into a spiritual house. That's the way you get built into a holy new nation. That's the way you join a new people of God. 
of which Jesus is the capstone. It's by coming to Jesus that you receive mercy, which is what he points out at the end of our reading. Once you weren't a people, now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, verse 10, but now you have received mercy. We are, of course, here in that verse, bumping up against the exciting news that Grant and Leone discovered this year. You don't, get in, you don't become one of God's people by doing stuff. You become one of God's people by receiving mercy, by being forgiven. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, that, that's how it happens. He died on the cross, takes something, a punishment we should have taken, a, a judgment we deserve. He took it in our place so that when you come to him, you can receive mercy. So that when you come to him, you can be part of a people you just don't deserve to be part of. So that when you come to him, you can be built into a spiritual house you just don't deserve to be built into. You can become a member of a holy nation you just don't deserve to be a citizen of. It's because of Jesus. And so to a bunch of nobodies living nowhere in particular, to exiled Jews scattered throughout the nations with no temple, no land, no priesthood, effectively nothing, Peter is writing, it's okay. You've come to Jesus. And therefore you actually have all of it and, and more besides. Because of Jesus, you are the temple. Because of Jesus, you are the priesthood. Because of Jesus, you are the people of God. And I'd love you this morning to just get a sense of the enormity of what this passage is saying. Because you and I, we're not exiled Jews of the dispersion, but the ramifications of what Peter is saying here, they reach out through time and space and geography to touch even us this morning. For we are seeing that receiving mercy and being part of the people of God, it happens by coming to Jesus. We are seeing that Jesus has triggered off a realm that crosses borders and reaches people in every nation. Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Australia, Ireland, Philippines. God has given rise to a holy nation of forgiven people and it is not restricted to any particular cultural background. It's not stopped by politics. It's not stopped by socioeconomic circumstances. It's not limited by human experience. It's not held back by human prejudice. God, Jesus is building a worldwide engulfing kingdom that anyone can be part of if they come to him. Last Monday, when we met for session, we actually spent time just rejoicing in the fact that across all our churches this year, men and women, boys and girls, have joined that kingdom. People like Grant and Leone, William. It's a kingdom that's estimated to be more than 2 billion people in the world today. That is almost twice as many as the next largest religion. And this is a proportion that is only getting bigger as every day goes past because Jesus has sparked off a world-engulfing people of God that is currently estimated to be growing at a rate three and a half times faster than the world's population. In the time you have been listening to me this morning, over 2,000 people have taken their place in this kingdom. Can you just soak that in a little bit, the dimension of what these verses are describing? 
Can you demolish in your thinking any sort of limitation that confines Jesus to simply what he has done for you? It's far bigger than that. Yes, we're individuals. Yes, every single individual one of us must come to an individual trust and obedience to King Jesus. We've got to do it alone for ourselves. But once we've done that, can you see that we are privileged to have joined something absolutely huge? And I want you to be energised by that this morning. I want you to be encouraged and comforted by it. Now, this week when you're struggling with a family devotion, no one else seems to be listening to you. Or you're in the middle of a scripture class. You're sort of wondering what, if anything, is going in. You're part of the worldwide kingdom of Jesus Christ. As you head off to work or school and you're figuring that you might be the only Christian at your part of work or you're only Christian in the class, as you sort of go around to a friend's place for coffee, as you come along here to early church and you offer hospitality to someone who's new here for the first time, you're sitting by yourself at home praying for your unbelieving parents or your children or your friends. As you perhaps nervously give someone a Christian book to read or start up a conversation about Jesus. Can you remember this passage? You are part of a world engulfing people of God. And if you are here and you are not a Christian... If in the words of Peter you have not come to him, the living stone, if you've not submitted to Jesus as king, if you've not joined this holy nation that Jesus ignited through his death and resurrection, could you please understand that this morning's passage is telling you that you are missing out on the great purpose of your life. Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead so that people could receive mercy, so that people could take their place in the people of God. Friends, that is why you were made. That is why God put you on this earth. He put you here so that you too could say, along with the rest of us, friends, we are a chosen people. We are a holy priesthood. We are a royal nation, a people belonging to God. Friends, Once we weren't a people, now we are. Once we hadn't received any mercy, now we have. And Jesus is the star. No wonder Peter started the letter, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'll pray. Father, thank you that through Jesus we are able to receive mercy through his death and resurrection, that we are able to be built into a spiritual house, take our place in a holy nation, none of which we deserve. Father, thank you. And thank you at this very moment, your holy people, is growing and bearing fruit all over this world. Father, we again rejoice in the precious brothers and sisters in early church, Grand Leone, William, who have taken their place in that nation this year. 
We pray for our precious new brothers and sisters across all the DPC churches who have taken their place by the grace of Christ in, in this nation, in your nation this year. And Father, we continue to pray that your people would grow, be a powerful witness to you throughout the world. We pray it for your honour and that of your sons. Amen.